Amen. Beautiful singing. You may be seated as one of my favorite hymns, great hymn for this conference indeed. Thank you for the privilege of letting me go fishing with you this last few days of your missions conference. Thanks for the gift and privilege to open God's word with you over these last few nights. <clears throat> and again this morning, everybody has a little bit of leftover something. I just wanted to say, um, as you've prayed for and encouraged my work, I just want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for your investment in church planting. You may or may not know this, but I am really am a missionary. I raise about 40 to 50% of my uh, salary and housing from friends, family, uh, and other individuals. And then the partner churches, which you are one of them, you're one of 35 partner churches of 135 churches that make up the Mid-South area who support, support me as a coordinator, as a servant of this presbytery, but also the church planters directly. So thank you very much for your investment in church planting in the future of the gospel, even in North America. I'm grateful for Tim as he serves on our executive committee, and he also leads one of two initiatives that are very important for us for the future health of our network, and that is Next Gen Pastors, where you have a cohort that meets here regularly with Dan Anderson and some of his interns and some of your pastors in the area. And that is a beautiful way in which men get to share the burden and blessing of being ministers of the gospel and hopefully raising up more ministers from this location in this place to serve in this Mid-South area. You know, guys from Indiana don't fit really super well in Little Rock. They can it's going to take a lot of years to figure it out, Little Rock, compared to Indiana. And that's why I say for guys from Boston, you can't just come down to Baton Rouge and plant a church. It takes years to figure out a culture. So we want to raise up, we want to raise up young men and women to come serve and come alongside church plants. You may or may not know this, but the average age of somebody being called to the ministry is between 18 and 22 years of age. Chris may have shared that last year as he was here as well. That means... You youth workers have a lot of young men that God is already calling to himself to be the future ministers of the gospel. And so I encourage your church and your youth ministry as you seek to raise up the next generation of pastors. As well, we also have a ministry that's led by Emily Hartman to take care of pastor wives and church planting wives, specifically through her work with Parakaleo Ministries, that, that very biblical word of the Holy Spirit coming alongside. She comes alongside all of our church planting wives, coaches them, prays for them, reaches out to them, and encourages them. So those next-gen pastors, the leadership pipeline, and Emily Hartman's work with our ladies is vitally important to keeping our, our missionaries, our church planters, and their wives on the field. So thank you for supporting this work. Let's switch gears this morning. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. We'll look at verses 25 to 30 this morning. And by way of comment, as you open the very text of God's Word before us today, I just simply want to, to ask a question to us. Are you finding rest? Uh, it's, rest isn't a very elusive concept, I think you would admit, right? We will enter the spring and the summer, and many of us will go on trips and travels, and you'll say, like I've heard from a million friends of mine, it seems like, right, I am just crazy busy, and I can't wait to find some rest. And lo and behold, when you go on those trips with family and friends, 
you get this similar comment of some ilk that goes like this. You know, I think, I think I need a vacation from my vacation. I didn't really get any rest. I mean, I was hoping on it. We went to the family cabin. That's where we've always gone for like 40 years. And if we go there, if I could just sit in that chair and look at the lake, I will, I will find some rest. If I go on that hunting trip that I've, I've wanted to go on or I go on annual, if I could just go and sit in a deer stand, if I could just do that, I'll, I'll find some rest, right? If I go back to the mountain that I love to hike with my wife and my family, surely we'll find rest and we'll build family life together. But rest is elusive because I've been to those spots. I've longed for those places like you. And when I've gotten to those places, I can't keep getting all the other things out of my mind. The things that are going on in my heart, the things that are going on in my family, the things that are going on in the church. Rest is elusive. And I think it's elusive because we are trying to find rest by either a quantity of time or a particular place where we have created in our minds, if I'm there, I will find rest. And this text tells us that rest is found in a person, not in the quantity of time, not in a particular place that we love, but in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In a real sense, Matthew eleven twenty-five to 30 is the fulfillment of what was told to us in Isaiah chapter 9. That when this Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom comes, the government, all the governments of the universe in this world will rest upon his shoulders. And so what we find in this text is that Jesus comes with shoulders for the weary, indeed the weary nations that are around us. And in this text, and in the very words of Christ recorded by Matthew, we see this prayer, which contains both true intimacy that God has with his fathers and his disciples, as well as a humble invitation for us who are weary and can find no rest in this life. In a profound way, Jesus, the Son of God, is pulling back the veil to help us see into the very heart of our Father in heaven, who longs to give us rest in his Son and to celebrate and worship his Son even on a day like this. Let's hear the word of God together and consider our Savior's words. Verse 25, <clears throat> at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the very word of God for us this morning. May he bless it to us and to our hearts. Let's pray that he would do that. Our Father, we come before your gaze this morning. We come in the mercies and merits 
that we've sung about in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would find us and you would point us in our anxiety-filled world and our anxiety-filled hearts to this person, to the Son of the kingdom, to your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus. This morning, would you reveal to us our great need of casting all of our cares and our anxieties and burdens upon you because you care for us. And as Peter reminds us, that is when we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. So we do that this morning. We come and humbly ask and bow our hearts and knees before you and ask you to teach us and cause us to believe once again in the Lord Jesus, who is indeed a friend of sinners. We pray this in his name. Amen. I was at a missions conference in Chattanooga a few years ago with my wife, Kathy. My son, Robert, is here with me today. I didn't introduce him. Sorry, Robert. But you're a middle child. You're used to being skipped over a lot. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll take you to lunch. Pastor Tim's, Pastor Tim's buying. Um, uh, Kathy and I, were at, we were at a missions conference, and we went with some very good friends of ours who had relocated from Hattiesburg, where we served for a while, to, to uh, Chattanooga. And we went out to lunch after church, and... We had a wonderful time together. We entered on the streets of Chattanooga, and as we were walking down the road, we met a homeless man, African-American homeless man, who came up to us and said, if you could help me out at all, could you give me a few dollars, anything to help me find a meal? There's a mission around the corner if I just had a few dollars. And I opened up my wallet and said, you know, I never, sorry, I never carry cash, but hey, what's your name? Tell me your story. Do you have a home church here in Chattanooga? And he went on to tell, tell his story. It was a little rambly. It was a, it was a longer story. I'm an impatient preacher. I'm lousy at listening. And as I'm asking him questions, not listening, really asking, and then ready to ask another question because I don't know what to really do, uh, he begins to tell me this story of how he grew up in the church. And, and so I went on to try to complete his sentences for him to kind of move the story along. And he just, this dear man, put his hand on my shoulder, and he just said, Preacher, if you will listen, I will tell you the whole story. And I said, Yes, sir, I'm listening. And he went on to share how he was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and had fallen on hard times and difficult spaces. And then he went on to pray for both of us as couples. We all sat in the, we were on the street in Chattanooga praying for each other and praying for this man who was praying for us. And I'll be honest, that could have been a pastoral prayer in any Sunday morning for any church or any pastor. It was a beautiful moment. But I learned something, that we are lousy at listening. We are people who want information and knowledge, and we ask questions that we already think we know the answers to. We are terrible listeners. And if we would just listen to Jesus, right, if we would listen to how he teaches us in the Gospels about his person and work, about his father and his kid, if we just would listen... Wouldn't our lives be categorically and quantifiably different in so many ways? You know, as Americans, we're the, some of the most educated Christians, evangelicals in the history of the world. You realize that, right? That some of your ruling elders and deacons could lead and preach and pastor churches all around the world. As Richard Pratt has reminded us through Third Mill Ministries, a ministry that some of you may be familiar with, uh, he has reminded us that 80% of the pastors in this world do not have seminary training or education. And yet, 80% of, 80 of these other marginalized countries are growing like crazy. 
because the gospel of the kingdom is being announced and these men are teaching the scriptures. We're always looking for experts and professionals and so-called wise men on every page to help us navigate pandemics and parenting and finances and stock market investments. But in this passage, Jesus offers us divine knowledge and understanding. The only question for us this morning is, are you listening? Are you listening? And if so, then Jesus gives us two things that I think are very important for us as the church today if we're going to bring our lives and find rest in Jesus, bring our lives to him and find rest in him. Jesus gives us an intimate hope and a humble invitation. Jesus gives us an intimate hope and a humble invitation. In verses 25 to 27, Jesus gives us an intimate hope. We indeed find comfort in what Jesus prays in these opening verses. It is here that Jesus prays relationally about and for the church that he is establishing through his life, death, and resurrection. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the experts, the religious uh, leaders who are wiser than everybody around them, you have hidden these things from the wise, the educated, Lord, but you've revealed them to little children, to babes, to those in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus begins his prayer with, with gratitude. And humanly speaking, if you read the account before this passage, Jesus, humanly speaking, is being squeezed in on every side by all kinds of religious and irreligious people. He is facing Brutal rejection at every turn in his public ministry. He's being accused of being a drunkard. He's being, being accused of being a, work, a worker of Satan, even a demon. He is being pushed at every side, in every turn. Of he comes to bring the gospel of the kingdom in himself. And yet, he says, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth. The Lord of all things, Jesus, delights and prays with gratitude to his Father, even in the midst of rejection and oppression that he face, faces. But here, Jesus steadies himself by this prayer with the infinite knowledge of his Father's power and the authority given to him. He was a man on a mission. He was commissioned by his Father. He was sent out into the world for three years of a public ministry. He knew that he had power and authority to bring the kingdom of heaven to bear upon those to whom he would preach, teach, heal, and listen. And here Jesus celebrates this revealed kingdom uh, by the faith given to those who would believe. Little children, those we write off, those we would say are marginal or not, not wise enough, not smart enough. I love this language. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. It's the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. God is always moving towards weakness and brokenness and poverty. He moves away from the strong, the powerful, and the wise. That's always the MO of Jesus' ministry as he ushers in the kingdom of God through his preaching and his teaching. We find comfort in what Jesus prays, but we also find communion in how Jesus prays. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, he says. He delights. Everything's been entrusted to him. 
Nothing is being left out. It's all his. He is the super glue of the universe, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Everything, the whole universe is held together in him. All things have been handed over to him. Now, the term handed over was used by religious leaders of Jesus' day and teachers in regard to the law. They would hand over the instructions and teaching of the law to this temple and the synagogues. They would hand them out. And that language is appropriate as you continue to think about Jesus' ministry in the end of Matthew's gospel, right? Because Jesus himself will be handed over to Rome and wicked authorities on behalf of the nation of Israel and these religious leaders. He would be handed over to be crucified in Rome. And so here we have the same language. Jesus, with all authority, divine authority indeed, receives all who have been handed over to him by the Father. It's the beautiful picture. We have been handed over and entrusted to Christ. He is the one who holds us together before his Father in heaven. He has been entrusted to keep the souls of the sheep he came to suffer and to die for. That is our great hope, is it not? He has been entrusted us, and so we can always entrust ourselves to him if we were to find rest. This phrase, no one knows, describes a deep and intimate communion that Jesus has and shares with his Father as his divine and true Son. But he also goes on to pray, right, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Those are those who belong to him. His children, his sheep, his disciples. You see here, Jesus is exclusively and sovereignly gracious. He is the son who communes with his family. And this is the family secret, right? That Jesus as our elder, our high priest, our king, right? That he leads us from the, the courtroom of our justification in himself to the adoption we have in the living room of God, we might say. Our justification adopts us into the family, and Jesus is our brother. And he loves to commune with his people. He delights to be with his family. And he shares the family secret. I have a father who is in heaven, and he is your father if you believe in me. It's the beautiful picture of adoption. We heard stories of that even in the missions conference. To be adopted, right, is to be brought into a family that is not your own. And anyone who is in Christ has been adopted into the family of God. We've been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, as we learn in Colossians. This is beautiful picture, that when we are adopted in the family of God, we are given new, a new name. We are given new privileges. We're given new family members which we did not ourselves earn or deserve. They're gifts, a new name, a new identity, a new people brought into the family of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. No one knows except the son to whom he chooses to reveal him. What about your living rooms and family discussions? What are we talking about anyway? I mean, I love, talk, I love talking about sports. All my family knows how idolatrous I am when it comes to sports. I try to repent of it. I'm still repenting of it. I love talking and thinking about 
you know, the transfer portal, what our image and likeness deal is really going to do, yada, 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 whatever. But what are we really talking about? When we talk about politics, we talk about sports, or we talk about the things that are going on in our world that we can't even understand or certainly don't know how to control. Why are we talking about so many things in, in and of themselves, right, that, that don't really matter, <laughs> right? That, but a lot of the things we're talking about just don't matter. They're not even going to matter next week. They might not even matter in the next news cycle, next 24 hours. And yet here what we see, if we have been brought into the family of God, if we've been adopted as sons and daughters to this living God, then we have something to talk about. And that's not what the world is talking about. We have a king. We have a father. We have a kingdom. We should be speaking and talking about things like this, things that will last. That the gospel message is a message to be shared every single day of our lives. That Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and me. Not just talking about all the blessings we have received by being North American evangelical Christians, but that, that, that our Father is our blessing. That, that Christ is our blessing. He's what we need. We need His presence. We need His words. We need His intercession and prayers. That's what we ought to be talking about. And so what we see before this text, these opening verses, is that Jesus Christ gives us an intimate hope into the family room of God. The second thing I want us to look at in verses 28 to 30 is that Jesus gives us a humble invitation. A humble invitation. Notice that there is a command. There's actually two between take up uh, this yoke and come, right, to me. To, to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus prays with urgency for the church. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. It's a command. It's a pronouncement. It's a behold. Behold me. Come to me. And the question is, well, well who? Who will come? Only those, right, who see and know themselves to be weary and heavy laden by the bruised and broken world we live in because of the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve. That's the real, that's the kicker. That's the kicker, right? Do you feel your need of him as we sing in the, the hymn? And the hymn reminds us that all the fitness that he requireth is to feel your need of him. That's who will come. Those who desperately and knowingly need this Jesus, who is the Christ, the resurrection from the dead for you and for me. So are you going? Are you going? <laughs> are you going to go to Jesus with your weariness and heavy burdens? Don't manage them. You're not very good at it. Don't try to outthink God. Can't do that. Just go to him. Bring all your weariness, all your problems, every single dark thought you've ever had, everything you can't solve in this life and you won't. Bring it all to him. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And because of this, right, Jesus promises rest. He, that's when he says, I will give you rest. 
Today, not tomorrow, I will give you rest at the moment in which you come to me. I will give you rest. Well, what kind of rest is this? This is, this is rest from, from the sabotage of sin and its, its overbearing weight upon us. Jesus deals with that. He's our shalom. He's our righteousness. He knows that sin is devastating and destructive. That's why he says, come to me and bring it to me. Right? That Jesus ultimately is the one who will bring rest to us, both physically, as we even seek to honor him on this Lord's Day. As philosophers say, he will give us cognitive rest. He can let your mind rest when you can't make it rest. There's not enough meds or medication to help your mind rest. Jesus can help you rest, even with those medications and those things that we have the privilege of having. But ultimately, at the end, Jesus is the one who gives us rest. He gives rest for our very souls. And Jesus, we know, if you look at the next chapter, they're going to take a shot at Jesus again. You know, why are your disciples not really obeying the Sabbath? They're not resting, Jesus. They're not resting like we rest. You should teach them how to rest. And he says to them, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I am rest. And I will give my disciples rest. My people will find rest in me. As the church player in Jonesboro, Jeff Rayford, said to me in the midst of a Zoom call where I was meeting with the, the, the church planners every month or so, working through a few books and praying for each other, he said, man, this is crazy. This is really like God has forced a sabbatical on us, right? He forced Sabbath. He made us sit down and be quiet and be still when we didn't want to. I know a lot of men, a lot of friends who no longer go on business trips and they hadn't been around their families in a while. And they weren't sure how they were going to do family worship or even if they wanted to touch that with a 10-foot pole. A lot of them learned that they were not resting in Christ. That they were running to earn a crown that would not last. And God forced us all to sit down and be still. And consider what it means to know him and find rest in him. And there are also wonderful stories where church planters and their families started leading their families in family worship, and young children came to Christ and renewed their sense and hope of what it means to be a family during the pandemic. God is always working good in the midst of chaos and suffering. He is the one who offers us rest. This is, by the way, the entire Bible summary of where we're headed. God promised us to give us that shalom, that rest. It's Jeremiah 31, 25 where Jeremiah writes, according to the new covenant that will be fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus, verse 25, he says, For I satisfy the weary ones and refresh everyone who languishes. Let me say it again. For I satisfy the weary ones and refresh everyone who languishes. Are you listening? Are you listening? Do you hear what God is saying from Old Testament to New? He promises to give you rest. And lastly, there is a calling to live by mercy. Not only a command to find rest, but to live by mercy in verses 29 to 30. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly and hardened. If, if you don't have Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, well, you're really missing out. And they're giving like that book away free. There's some guy that's got a lot of money. He'd love for you to read that book, and it's a great book. I'm reading through it for a second time. What was so captivating about his opening chapter is that he talks about how this is the first real, this is one of the few descriptions 
A very particular description of Jesus describing himself and his own heart. Where we learn that he is gentle and lowly in heart. That the entire ethos of Jesus' life in ministry was one of humility and gentleness and kindness. As we look at his person and his work. What is this yoke? It is nothing less than discipleship. It is to be a learner of God and the kingdom of God. It is learned humility. We are to take up a yoke and learn to be like Jesus, who gentle and lowly, who's approachable, who's tender-hearted. And it is in this learned humility which bears fruit in our lives as we follow Jesus into mission. You see, his mercy enables us to embrace our failures and the failures of others. Wait a minute, what are you talking about? Embrace my failures? I'm not doing that today. Embrace somebody else's failures? Are you kidding me? Did you understand what Jesus did every single day of his life as he led those disciples? He embraced their failures of every single hour of every single moment. And we as his disciples need to rejoice that he doesn't treat us like our sins deserve. Yes, God is nothing like us. And he will never be. Praise be to his name. He does not think the way we do. He does not even think the way we think about ourselves. Isaiah 55, 8 reminds us of God's mysterious and sovereign ways, but how personal and important this is for us this morning. Verse 8 of 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh the Lord. Why else would Jesus say, For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. You see, Jesus is not like any person you have ever known or will know. And when Jesus finally rested his shoulders upon that cross in death for you and for me, he brought life and he poured out mercy with his blood. Should this not make us the most hopeful and humble people upon the earth? That's what Jesus did for us. And finally, as we see in this passage, Christ's mercy produces a real freedom and dependence upon him, that we can tie our souls to him for eternity, not only now but forevermore, that we can take his yoke upon ourselves and learn mercy from him, where he announces in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, all of us desperately need the grace and the mercy of God. It's probably been over a year ago, but a dear friend, mentor, PCA pastor, friend of mine, who is somewhat responsible for me taking this call, so I both rejoice and say it's your fault if I do something wrong. But he's, he's like 6'6". Six, six. He's a big human being. But he called me one day. I was parked at a, I think it was during the pandemic even, I was parked at the at a Lowe's parking lot, and I, I parked because he was calling in. The first question he asked me, he says, Clint, how is, your, how is your soul doing? Well, you know, thanks for asking that. Um, I think, I mean, I think, I think I've been, okay, am I reading my Bible? Yeah, I'm reading my Bible, been praying some, praying for the church planners. Yeah, I think, I, I think, I think, I think, I'm doing okay. But the way he asked the question, the way he knew me and my schedule over these years, I've known him for over 20-some years, maybe he detected something restless in my heart. Maybe he thought I was already burned out 
I don't know what the reason, but I was thankful for the question, how is your soul doing, brother? And isn't that really what our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, is, is asking us this morning? How is your soul doing this morning? We confess that it's the soul that will last forever. It will be tied to our bodies when Jesus comes again and we will worship him forever and ever with bodies and souls that have been hitched, tied to Jesus Christ. How is your soul doing this morning? Have you found rest in Christ? As a good friend often reminds me, are you struggling to be free to find that rest? Or are you free to struggle in Christ who is your rest alone? See, this morning, Jesus invites all of us to ask this question of ourselves. He wants us to consider our spiritual life before him and before each other, because our souls will last forever, whether a believer or an unbeliever, whether you this morning are running away from Christ in your sin and your unbelief, or you're seeking after him this morning. Our church father is right. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in him. There's nobody like Jesus. And there's no one who can give rest like he does. He is gentle and lowly. Christ, we see, gives us a humble invitation. I close with this story. I remember being on a vacation, feeling pretty restful, but watching my boys out in the surf playing together. I'm a little older now. I used to do that. So as I watched them play together, I noticed that one son put another son on their shoulders and were marching out of the, the wake of the of the ocean breaking over and over again. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, that's my job. I mean, that's what I used to do. That's, I should be out there. But then it hit me. I was like, that's discipleship. I mean, they're doing what I did with them. It's something learned. It's a privilege to see it, to rejoice over it, to be a father, to watch his sons. Don't you think that's how the Father in heaven looks at you? He rejoices over you. With loud singing, the Bible says. He delights in you. And he says he will be the delight of your heart. That's a picture of discipleship. It's a picture of the church from one generation to the next. Paul says in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, like on your shoulders, right? And so fulfill the law of Christ. This is what we've been reminded of this week and at this missions conference this morning, as we come for worship, we're reminded of the means of grace. But all this really means in the end, right, is just one thing, that Jesus is shouldering the nations. And my friends, you are the nations. And he's got you. And he'll never let you go as you trust and believe in him. Now, I've gotten to know Derek a little bit. I've known Tim for a long time. But your pastor's their shoulders aren't big enough. Your retirement, I'm sorry, it's not substantial enough. The time left in your life, no matter whatever it might be, it's not long enough on the earth. Today, your Heavenly Father has sent His Son into the world to make disciples. And by placing our salvation and our lives upon His shoulders, won't you find rest in Him today? Are you listening? Because if you're listening, and you will hear these words again. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, even rest for your souls. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that there is this knowledge and privilege that you can and do promise to give us rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope we have in our Savior Jesus, who has revealed that you are our Father and that we are your children. Would you send us out with boldness and courage this week while being meek and tenderhearted? May we smile at the broken, open doors for the weary, and simply show the love of Christ however we might. We're so thankful that we learned today that you, Lord Jesus, are gentle and lowly in heart. Would you make our hearts sing and be like your heart, we pray.